Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Dear Evan Hansen, the film based on the 2015 musical. I'm happy to be joined by my friends Adam Wittenstein. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. And for the first time in about a year, John Police. John, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, Dear Evan Hansen is based on the 2015 musical that uh, starred Ben Platt and had music by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who did the music for the movie, and it's which is directed by uh, Stephen Shabosky. I should have looked up how to say that guy's name beforehand. He's done other stuff, including Perks of Being a Wildflower and the live-action Duty and the Beast. Ben Platt is the kind of the one returning guy uh, from the Broadway musical, and the fact that he is doing so six years after he was playing a, a high school in the Broadway musical and basically a full decade after he's playing a college student in Pitch Perfect uh, has been a topic of discussion, which I am sure we will get to. Uh, but the, the cast also includes uh, several other people who we'll discuss. But to get to it, uh, Evan Hansen is a teenager who suffers from like severe uh, an- social anxiety and uh, depression, and he is medicated. He lives with his single mom and really has a lot of trouble just, you know, uh, just interacting with people in the world, let alone having to uh, navigate high school on top of that. And one one day when uh, his, his therapist, he's writing letters that his therapist has told him to write to himself to encourage him as like a, an exercise just to kind of, you know, help help his own mental health. Uh, he writes one letter uh, to himself that uh, kind of mentions a uh, girl he has a crush on whose name is Zoe Murphy. She's played by Caitlin Deaver. Um, it, but it, it, through a, a sequence of events, it ends up coming into the possession of a classmate named Connor Murphy, who is a bit of an outcast and uh, clearly has some issues of his own but connor sees his sister's name on this letter and thinks it's about him and is in some way making fun of him he runs off with it the next day evan is uh brought into the principal's office he thinks he's going to be in trouble because of uh the things he's the things he's written and it turns out that uh connor's parents are there they're played by amy adams and danny pino and uh, it turns out, sadly, Connor has killed himself and they found this letter on him and thinking it was a suicide note that uh, Connor wrote to Evan. And they are thrilled to learn that their son actually had a friend. Uh, Evan, who doesn't really have any friends, ends up uh, going along with it. And it becomes a bigger and bigger deal as he ingratiates himself to this family and uh, becomes a big story that a lot is being done in the memory of Connor. And Evan is getting a lot of credit for that. And the lies basically uh, spiral out of control. Guys, this this musical was a huge hit. It won a uh, Tony for Ben Platt. Did it win Best Musical, John? Yes, it did. Yeah, um, it, won- it won several. It won like book. It won score. I, I think it won six Tonys total. Yeah. So it was like a, it was a really huge success. Uh, it also won, I think, I think it won best performance in a musical for an actress, for the uh, woman who played his mom in the musical, Rachel Bay Jones, though that role again, went to Julianne Moore in the movie. And uh, so it was very successful. And I was like extremely ignorant of it uh, before, like up until about six weeks ago, I'm not going to go into all the ways I was just discussing offline with Adam and John. And I was ignorant of it, but I really didn't know much, but uh, Adam, I know you have a little bit more of a relationship with this play and you'd seen it a couple time so you have some reference points for kind of how they made this transition from screen or from stage to screen is that correct yeah yeah i first i think was introduced to the musical a couple of years ago i just saw people talking about it i was on a big uh musical high after you know listening to hamilton and listening to in the heights and some other you know really popular musical so i'm like okay i'll give this a shot i listened to it um and really enjoyed the music uh, eventually the traveling cast came down to, to fort lauderdale so i saw that actually I ended up seeing it twice once because I was really want, I really wanted to see it. 
second time because we had a friend in town and tickets ended up being dirt cheap for one of the later shows. So uh, I went and saw it twice with the traveling cast. And yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed it on the stage and I enjoyed the movie. The movie did a de- you know, decent job of adapting it from the stage. Yeah, I think Adam is probably going to be the highest of us on the movie. So I'm curious, John, I know you hadn't seen it in person, but as someone that was at least somewhat familiar with the soundtrack and uh, a little bit more about what the play was about, what were your feelings about this as a, at least the quality of the music and what you understood about it coming into it? And did you have any worries when you saw, oh, they're going to try and turn this into a movie? So I will say to begin with that I actually came into this musical right when the soundtrack came out, I want to believe, so like 2017. So, cause I did a huge amount of theater in college. I like know a lot of like musicals and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, I feel like this musical kind of fit in kind of the wave of things that were happening in the period. So obviously you had Hamilton the year before. I was looking at Fun Home one best musical the year before that. Uh, Book of Mormon was a couple of years before that. So you have a lot of these really big musicals that kind of crossed over into the mainstream. And that's kind of, this was kind of the last one that really did that. Like, I don't think there's been another really big musical that's kind of made that transition. But for me personally, I definitely raised eyebrows at this becoming a film adaptation, I think to begin with, because there are certain things about how a musical happens on stage, the way you put things up, the way you can like emote, but you have to emote to the entire auditorium that I think forgives a lot of things and I think allows emotion to be conveyed. And to begin with, I will say this soundtrack has a lot of single ballads of like expressing your feelings. And so while on stage, you can kind of have that connection with the audience and do that. It's a really big challenge to translate those to film. And I think we've seen over and over again with recent film adaptations of musicals that like things that really work well on stage because you can juxtapose people who are in different areas on the same stage and show them together just creates a lot of cutting and a lot of like, well, they're here and here and here. And so we can talk about a lot more details, but between that and the fact that the subject matter, I think was already a little bit raised eyebrows at the time. And so I think bringing it to a very broad audience was one of those things where I was like, how are they going to do this? And so when I first heard about this, I was quite, quite perplexed by the prospect. Yeah. So the subject matter, I think, is like a it's it's basically the most important thing in the, the plot itself, because I as I just kind of like talked my way through it when we started out, like there's a lot going on and it's like some very, very intricate hijinks to get the plot to where it is, considering how like dark the subject matter actually is. So I think that's what John is getting at when he's saying like that there are some like some raised eyebrows there. And I think. I'll just say it like the response to this film by the film critics, not to mention whatever theater critics are saying at the time, I'm not as well versed on that, but the reaction from the critic, from the large, most critics has been like fairly negative to this. And I think a lot of people mainly thinking like, look, I don't, whether or not be, that, that they don't think the film strikes, strikes the right tone and going for like too hopeful of a message given what it's pro I don't, I don't even want to, it almost feels weird to call Evan a protagonist uh, in some, in, in some no. ways, but. But the term protagonist is really important because, and we'll talk about some of the changes from the musical to the movie. But one of the main choices this movie makes is Evan is the center of the movie. You don't experience people outside of Evan's purview. You really don't get any experience of characters until they come into Evan's world. And so instead of getting 
and we'll talk about we talked about anybody I have a map and we'll talk more about that song but instead of getting the typical opening of a musical where you kind of introduce everyone in their dynamics and then you have the initiating event that causes everything you don't have that basis so everything's seen through Evan's lens and so I think that makes it actually a lot harder to sympathize with a lot of characters because instead of having outside reference points for who they were before this terrible tragedy happened how those things work everything's funneled through him and so We'll talk about Glenn Platt's performance and whether or not it works, but I think you are you lose a lot of the anchors that give you the opportunity to rest on other things when Evan Hansen is kind of like going out on the deep end. Yeah, I could I could totally see that, and I think that's maybe why some of it like rubs people the wrong way when they don't have those same connections to other characters and they're just left to feel like, or am I supposed to be sympathizing with this one character who I am like spending all the time with, and I don't feel like I know anyone else that well. And Adam, I know you I know you like the movie, but did anything? How, how did it strike you as far as whether this movie really like actually got it right and how it leaves you feeling about Evan compared to these other characters. And if it, uh, I, I guess is, is hard enough on him and gives him a full enough arc that you feel like the movie has the right perspective on him. Um, well, one, I definitely agree with John that anybody have a mat being left out, uh, is, was a big mistake. And can you, can you explain what that song is? Um, anybody have a map is the opening number of the musical. It kind of introduces all the characters, not just Evan. It introduces his mom. It introduces the Murphy family. It introduces the fact that Connor's, you know, kind of a, a, a screw up or something. I guess is maybe not the right word, but like he, that he's a kid having a tough time. Like there's a line in the song where, you know, uh, his mom's like, I don't want you going to school high. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm not going to go then. Um, and stuff like that. So it kind of introduces like, yeah, like the kind of dynamics and stuff. Um, and as far as it's striking the right tone, I'm sure we'll get, yeah, like John said, we'll get into it. There are plot changes, especially at the end, uh, an addition that kind of wasn't crazy about. But um, I just think, yeah, like with the plot line as a whole, I was trying to explain it to some friends who had never heard the musical or anything and explain <laughs> like what the movie was about. And it's a lot. Like I'm trying to explain it. I'm like, it's a lot. You have to see it to kind of know what's going on. It, it's a big hurdle. Um, and yeah, you, it, I feel like I kind of came away from it when I saw the musical. I was like, oh, Evan's a bad, like, that's a really bad thing. That's the point. The point is that he does something very, very bad. And the musical, or the movie is kind of like, yeah, he did something bad and it was wrong, but like, eh, it's not so bad, you know, it's okay. And I don't think that was the perfect tone. Uh, I think he got a little bit too much, I guess maybe too much redemption at the end. But um, yeah, I just, I think, I, don't, I think maybe some people can't just get over that hurdle of saying like, this is a, to say, oh, he's a bad person. He did a really bad thing. He did a really, really kind of an evil thing. Uh, he's just a bad person. I can't sympathize at all. Like that's kind of too much of a hurdle for me. So I guess it kind of varies from person to person. And going off that, I will say that I think a little bit of the way the musical structured is that you have to accept that Evan is almost like this, this basically like wounded, wounded bird that like just doesn't have the agency and kind of ends up in this situation where all he knows how to do is try and say what people want to hear. And you have to kind of, he doesn't have, he doesn't have any other way to handle it, that he doesn't have the ability to have that hard conversation and kind of just ends up in here. And I think that's one of the things that you really struggle with from the beginning is that you, you need someone who's kind of young and naive and doesn't have any friends and doesn't know how to handle these things. And I think that's one of the things that's so hard from the starting point is that because you don't know anyone from any other perspective and Ben Platt looks like he is 35, that it becomes very hard to buy him not having agency in the situations. It comes off not as neurotic, but as creepy in a way that I think is really hard to understand in that first scene in the, in the principal's office. 
Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll, I, we'll talk about the age thing now, but I'll just, I'll, I'll just say that, like, you know, I kind of left the movie, and I think I, I was telling Adam this uh, on Sunday, only a couple hours before I saw it, and that I was just like, based on everything I had heard, I was just my expectations were like so low. So maybe it's like an expectations game type of thing where like I, I'm just expecting to like just find this whole thing to be a completely vile enterprise. But I, I didn't come away thinking the movie was manipulating me in the way it seems like some critics kind of felt. And I, I, I kind of like maybe left the movie in feeling somewhat close to like how Adam said he left feeling the show. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy did a bad thing. And I think that last Apple Orchard scene is probably like probably too uplifting of a note to probably end, like end things on all things considered, maybe. But at the same time, I, I was like, I don't think the movie like is under any illusions of like how bad of a thing he did. So maybe I just didn't like I, and I was expecting it to like really like be making a lot more excuses for him than it actually did. So I just didn't necessarily like leave it feeling, you know, as put off as I was expecting to. So I think I just felt, you know, more positive than I had braced myself for. But uh, you made the point about like how old he looks. And I think that there is definitely something to that where it's like, not only do people like making memes and making fun of the trailer once they just kind of got their first look at him, but also more, more, more to the point John was just making in that I think you're supposed to, and I, I think Adam was kind of getting this point too, where like, even if you're not sympathizing for him, you can always understand where it's coming from. Where isn't that like, you can see how these lies would easily get out of hand for someone that already has trouble communicating to begin with. But it's easier to buy that when you look like a shrinking violet and you are, uh, you know, just overwhelmed by the situation because you're a poor little boy. And he 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 doesn't look like a poor little boy. It does, uh, doesn't work as well when you look like you're 35. No. And John, John, you and I have been talking a little bit about that in the in the couple of weeks leading up to the film as to like just like, wow, this is kind of like uh, they're, they're getting a lot of shit for how Ben Platt looks. So like, I think you would probably like brace yourself to have some thoughts on that. Did his presence in this movie amongst a lot of other actors that looked younger than him. And Caitlin Deaver is like, she's 25, but she can pass for high school in a way Ben Platt can't, you know, did that yeah. end up like bothering you in a any more or less than you expected it to? I will just say broadly on the age, it took me about, and first of all, this movie is two hours and 20 minutes, which is wild <laughs> on its own, but it took about an hour because the other thing that was struggling for me is not only does he look like he is as old as time, but the entire high school looks like it's populated by like 25 year olds. Yeah, the, guy, so play, the, guy, the guy that plays Connor looks almost as old as him. Yeah, and but it's not just that. It's also that somehow, like, this high school... And I've watched a lot of high school movies or movies that are supposed to be in this thing. And, like, I, I guess I compared it to High School Musical in my mind, where, like, yes, that's a very nice high school, but the lockers are normal-sized and, like, everyone looks somewhat the same age. In this high school, everyone when you're 25, that is the smallest all-high school rally I've ever seen. <laughs> I have no idea what city they're in where there's a public bus that goes down these, like, mountain passes. Like, it just but, nothing but that, about... Bethesda, they're, they're from your neck of the woods. They're in Bethesda, aren't they? I, I'm from Virginia, and, like, I have never seen an area that looked that rural <laughs> in the D.C. metro area. Um <laughs> But even then, I think that there was just, it was a hard transition to like figure out where I was because the other thing with the age is hard, but the other thing about it is that because like the, the principal scene is like eight, 10 minutes into this movie, it's very quick. Um, you have waving through a window, which is weirdly staged and we'll talk about that. But then you go straight to the principal's office like 10 minutes later and you don't have any thing with Amy Adams you don't know this character well enough and suddenly you're in this situation where like neither of them are on the wavelength of what this movie needs in terms of naturalism and so it just you go from the cringe of the age to the cringe of the scene where you're just like 
oh my God, what is happening? What am I watching? And it just becomes very hard to, what we were talking about with the wounded dove idea, it becomes very hard to kind of understand the motivations when you're so disoriented from, even if this were a normal scene, much less the the gravity and difficulty of what they're trying to convey. You mean specifically the scene in the principal's office where they first give him the letter? It just, it just kind of struck a weird chord with you? I think you're still so confused by how old he looks and what he's supposed to be and what, like, because Waving Through a Window is a beautiful song and I have no idea why they staged him walking through a high school with a bunch of people around. That made the least sense I've ever seen. Like, I could see a version of that staging where you have everyone just disappear and it's like he's by himself and I could totally buy it. But also that song is a bop, like that song rules. And because <laughs> you have so much noise from everyone in that gym, I was listening to the recording. I was like, oh, there are the drums and stuff, but I literally couldn't hear it in the theater because you have so much like cacophony from all the people in the school. And so like, it just becomes very hard to figure out where you're at and kind of get on the level of the movie before you kind of are already shot out of a cannon. And so, so like, I it, just, it seems like a confluence of factors like, on top of the age thing, just kind of left you a little disoriented. Well, also the when you first introduced to Connor, they like the kid calls him like school shooter vibe, and like there's just a lot of really upsetting things that happen in quick succession. And it's, I'm just not a person that handles cringe very well. And there was so much in those first 15 minutes. That I just I was it took me a long time to just like get to like get on the level of the movie, if that makes sense. Well, sure. But Adam, you're even more familiar than either of us uh, with like how this thing actually looks as opposed to just how it sounds. So were you disoriented in any respect being dropped into this world? And how did the age thing strike you? Because I know it it seemed like you probably got past it. Okay, if you had as positive experience as it sounds like you did. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I mean, since I knew I knew the plot line, everything, all of it kind of coming in, I guess I was less disoriented. I don't don't know. Having seen it, I guess, like I kind of knew what to expect. If I was coming into it totally blind, or if I was coming into it only, you know, uh, oh, you know, and I, I maybe knowing about it, or just listening to the soundtrack, where because the soundtrack's not sung through, you it's only a lot of it's you know spoken. Uh, maybe I would be disoriented. And as far as you know, Ben Platt's age, uh, and me and my fiance Kayla, who's you know been on the podcast a few times, we were we saw it, we were we were cracking we were cracking jokes about it. But um, yeah, I think there was one part where like there's one line in the song that line ends with like the word me or be or something like that, and Kayla like sung the next line was like because I'm 33 or something like that it was very funny but I kind of just got over it because I like Ben Platt I'm like okay like I get it he's in his reprising his role so I'm, I get it he looks older he doesn't look great doesn't look like a high schooler but is what it is I kind of just got so over it just briefly on that note though I will say they made him look worse than he's looked in anything else oh, yeah. Him in. oh like, yeah he looks bad it was like very confusing where like clearly they wanted him to like look stressed out and tired or whatever but like that combined with the curly like bangs that were coming down and everything. I think I was very confused about like, if you showed me a picture of Ben Platt on the street, he would not look anywhere near that old. And so I was a little confused. I actually, like, I I wasn't sure coming in. I didn't know. I knew Ben Platt wasn't high school age. I knew he was older. I didn't know how old he actually was. I thought he actually was in his early thirties. And I like look it up. I'm like, Oh, he's only 27. He that's a rough 27. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was born in 93. So uh I think he would he would have been like 26 or 27 when they filmed this, but more closer to like 22, 21 when he first originated the role on Broadway. So I I think you know, he, so so the thing I'll mention though is that when the first workshops of this happened was 2014. And so that I was because I'm a year older than him and I was 20, 21 at the time. So I actually think he would have been pretty okay when he started doing the role. But like that was seven years ago. And I think for him, especially, I think between the beard and like 
just his facial features. I just think he has aged more rapidly than maybe some other Hollywood actors might. Yeah, you know, it didn't bother me as much as I expected to. And I got a I got a kick out of a lot of the memes, just as anyone did. And they were they were they were really they were really funny. But like I think I'm just like used to this being a thing in high school movies. You know, I I don't know why they seem to really want to just like, you know, pick on him, but like, you know, it's like I, I I've watched the OC. Like all those people were like basically in their late twenties. It's just it's just a thing that like I have to, I've accepted as to like how they cast stuff. And I, and it, I, I don't get too hung up on it unless it is like one person who looks like way older than another person. I never ended up doing a podcast on he's all that, which was a plan I had and just didn't come together scheduling wise, but I watched she's all that in advance of it. And like, I felt very uncomfortable watching that, even though they're like kind of the same age, like they make uh Rachel Lee Cook's character look like incredibly young for like the first like half that movie before she gets her makeover and so and, so, and it just like makes me feel uncomfortable the whole time when like freddie prince jr is like wooing her and he looks like like the 26 year old he actually is and i and so i i'm just like thinking about it and i'm like all right like i no one he doesn't look uncomfortably older than anyone even if caitlin deaver and the and uh amanda sten amanda stenberg or uh the guy that plays jared like they can pass for high schoolers easier than him. It didn't feel so drastic that like it really bothered me that much. There's plenty of other things that bothered me about this movie. I, that, that was one I was expecting to like rub me away in which it just, it didn't quite do that. But like, believe me, there was like plenty of other things I had to criticize about this movie. <laughs> so I, I just will say, I think for me, it's not just the age. I think the age on its own would be one thing. I think it's the fact that that combined with Ben Platt's interpretation of this character is very neurotic in a way that I think combined with the age came across a little bit creepy to me. And I think the other thing about it is, and we'll talk about the the fact that half the people in this movie are in one movie and half the people are in the other, but I think that he is playing it so, like at 11th year that it just, I think it all combined in a way where I was just like having a hard time really getting on board with like seeing it through his perspective. Yeah. And I guess I was a little hesitant to necessarily like, uh, I'm not someone that has a lot of experience talking to, at least knowingly talking to someone that deals with similar social anxiety issues. You know, I'm sure I'm sure I've interacted with people that do deal with those and they're dealing with them in their own way such that you're not going to really know it. But like, I didn't, I didn't really know how to comment on a lot of the tics and mannerisms he was going for. I saw, I saw some people criticizing and I don't know if that struck you as over overacting at all combined with the look of it. And maybe that's it. But like, I was like, all right, well, this guy is clearly kind of like messed up, but I, I don't necessarily know enough about how some of these, uh, symptoms might manifest themselves to really know if he is like making really, really intentional, smart choices, you know? For me personally, I don't think the ticks or any individual piece of it. It's, it's one of those things where I don't feel like there's any one thing that I pull out and I'm like, this is the problem. But I do think if we can talk about that principal's office scene for a second, I think there's something about the, the level he's on combined with the level that Amy Adams is on where she is so over the top, like desperately trying to pull lines out of him. And I feel like you almost need, there's such a delicate, like part of theater is just the choreography. And like, even when you're doing dialogue, there is a rhythm and a like balance to it. And I felt like they were not on each other's wavelength. It also like, neither of them were on the level that like Caitlin Devers and Julianne Moore had, which was several gears lower than them. And so that scene was just nothing worked in it like I didn't buy that she was leading him in a way that felt natural like realistic at all and I didn't feel like his responses made a lot of sense and so that entire scene 
I think you almost, you need it to be like a, a ball rolling down a hill. And I think when you're talking about all of his ticks and all his little things, I think the problem is that if you give me a movie where everyone's on 11, at least you can kind of vibe with that. But everyone in this movie was not, not on 11. And so it well, just, did, yeah. Well, I'll say, uh, I want to ask Adam about that scene as someone, cause it's a pretty important scene and he's obviously seen it in another form, but like, I, I agree in that Julianne Moore, she's bringing every bit the white lady energy that Caitlin Deaver is describing her as having when she's talking about all the different things her mom is into later that movie and the way she approaches life. And yeah, it's certainly like uh, definitely over the top. And I kind of found myself thinking as I was watching that or the first dinner scene, like I found myself having like the overall thought that like, look, you know, I can get behind the idea of having a musical that deals with some of the stuff this one deals with. And I guess I haven't even necessarily gotten like my big overall criticisms of the movie yet, but like my overall thought was that like, look, I like some of the subject matter in it, but like those two scenes in particular almost felt so forced that it, I, I and so hokey, cause this is the plot that they have chosen that I had trouble getting behind the idea that I had trouble taking these people seriously, the, the Murphys. Uh, I was like, just that like, it, it's such a weird conceit and a weird setup. And maybe if it had been a little smoother in those scenes with respect to their dialogue and, you know, if it had felt more natural, maybe I wouldn't have necessarily had that reaction. But instead, I'm like, this feels so weird that like it's, it, they're going through so many weird machinations to get us to this point that I'm having trouble like accepting these folks as people. Caitlin Deaver, not as much. I think she like is probably at the wavelength that connected with me more. And I maybe I'm a little biased because like she's probably one of my favorite actresses working. But like I was just like so like put off by like how they even ended up buying into it that like it felt kind of like okay i i'm just like this the the movie is already starting to lose me a little bit here uh adam i i think that is a point an important scene that john john has brought us back to a few times because like that is where you first kind of see how you might how evan might end up finding himself in this kind of situation because he doesn't know how to communicate in those settings and is so caught off guard because on top of having his level of social anxiety, anyone is going to be a little perplexed or confused when someone has just committed suicide and their parents are telling them all these things. I, did that scene in the movie play any differently for you than it did uh, on the stage? Because who knows, maybe everyone is giving theater energy in a way that like they're all on the same way like in a, in a show, whereas maybe they're not, not as much in a film where it seems like everyone's kind of at a different level like John was talking about. I don't remember it really being that much different on stage. Uh, yeah. and I, I, granted, I did see it on stage just a couple of years ago. I mean, it didn't seem that different than how it was portrayed on stage. Maybe it was better performances on stage or, you know, worse performances in the, mo- in the movie. But yeah, it just it kind of plot wise, it seemed pretty true to the stage version. I, I didn't notice any huge differences in that in that part, particularly. I got you. I, I, I want to move a little bit to like the rest of the school though and the student body because I my, my, that was where I saw the biggest missed opportunity in that I was like really getting a, I don't want to say getting a kick out of it because in some respect I was as to like seeing how these people were reacting to something like this. And I, something, it felt like it was getting at something like really, really, really on point uh, for a while with respect to how students are going to like grasp onto something like this to try and make something of it and pretend they have more of a connection than they actually do. As a lot of people were surely doing with Connor, given what we were showing about how he actually fit into this student body. And I, and I kind of wanted it to be, I don't know, 
don't know if it's a sat like a satire on the level of something like election, but like something where it's like you're seeing how students might, you know, react in a you know disingenuous manner or act in a certain way and having the movie really take aim about how and I and I know social media is obviously a part of the play itself to a certain extent. And again, they're being faithful to the play. So where where Alana ends up going, I get it. That's like kind of on the page already with respect to her having the her own mental health issues. But I'm like, I kind of wanted to have like another character like that, that like didn't really have as sympathetic of a backstory, but that was just there trying to like capitalize on things for her own gain and have the movie kind of be like, look, this isn't exactly the proper way to go about, go about mourning someone. You guys don't know the first, you guys might act like you really think this is important, but you don't know the first thing about actually how to respond to people that need this kind of help yet. You're going to like, you know, create foundations and a uh, whole pep rallies and act like something means more to you than it really is. And it felt like the movie like kind of went there, but then like kind of didn't go there in the way I fully wanted it to because it had it had to deal with this really convoluted plot at the same time and it's like i would have watched a whole movie about this if we didn't have to deal with like all of evan's lies and again i that, that's not the movie i signed up for it's not what the play is but that's what i found myself thinking as i was watching this story john what did you think about you know how this movie kind of wrote these other characters that evan is having to deal with at school and the choices they make that drives at least this version of the plot yeah i think it's hard because i think that uh, the character you're referencing, who's remind me of the name, um, um, Alana, or um, played by Amanda Stenberg. Okay, um, that sounds right. Um, but she is Alana. Yeah, Alana is the kind of character who I actually think there is a lot more to dig into there if you really wanted to, because I actually think what you're describing is basically what she actually does in this show. Putting aside like her own personal struggles, which she gave me very strong. I say this with a lot of understanding of my own position. I want to go to an Ivy League energy, which is like I'm gonna <laughs> what, I'm gonna start whatever club I need to to try and like be that like type A overachiever. And it felt like I think there's a version of this show where the critique of her is like, well, you didn't know him. Why are you doing all these products and trying to like? Why is this the way you feel that you need to deal with this? And I think because she has such a I, I use the term for like a better one, like heel turn in like the third act that it becomes so focused on that. You kind of lose sight of like, she's the one questioning Evan about like, well, did you really know him? And how much did you actually care about this? But she didn't know him. And yet she's the one who's been like using this for kind of like clout chasing. And so I think there's an interesting thing there to ask. I think the show feels very uncomfortable actually holding its characters to account. I think there's quite a bit of like not being willing to actually ask the question about any of them. And I think that becomes especially difficult when like you're in the situation where Evan is, where like there is a lot to hold to account there. And then it kind of like, I think tries to absolve him at the end. And so I think what you're saying, I don't think the movie is, or the show is structured to make those arguments much less, make them for any character, much less Alana. Hmm. Interesting. If, uh, if, I, if I remember right now, again, like I said, I, I last saw the musical a couple of years ago, so I could be remembering this a little bit wrong, but in the musical, like a lot of song in the movie, uh, the anonymous ones, that's only movie that's not in yeah. the original stage show. That is not, if I recall, in the play at all, in the musical at all. She, it, It's kind of almost purely like, I want to go to an Ivy League school energy, like that she's doing it kind of for clout. And that, that's kind of at least the impression I got. And like, if someone was, you know, listening says I'm wrong that I might be wrong but that's kind of how I remember it, is that yeah she's kind of just clout chasing here not just for you know evil reasons just to go to you know help herself but like oh well kind of swooping in after the fact to say this is so terrible we need to do something and that's something that's a, that's a big thing and 
like you said, it kind of gestures towards this. I think the movie gestures and the, and the musical itself gesture towards a lot of different things that they don't fully explore. But one of them is like just kind of how phony, even emo- an emotion as, as straightforward as grief can kind of be played like in the internet, in social media age. Like, so there's a montage in the movie and there's it's also kind of similar in the stage show um, during You Will Be Found, which is a song I love dearly. But, you know, where people are saying, oh my God, everyone has to see this, to share this with someone you love. Like, okay, yeah, sure, it affected you real deeply. You watched a five-minute video on YouTube. Like, sure, I'm sure it really affected you. You don't know anyone involved in this. Um, where it, it kind of, and it probably is supposed to, kind of come off as, as saccharine or, or fake or phony, which it, if it is, great. That, that's a good, good commentary. If it's not, then, well, but then it's just kind of, you know, doesn't work so well. And to know someone or pretend to be extremely sad uh, just to make themselves look better, just put themselves out there like that. There's something really interesting about how that scene's staged where the only reason that speech goes viral is because everyone is filming him like they're about to have like a like dunk on him type of like like Instagram story. And so I want to say that was like really surreal watching that for me. It made me realize how old I am because I was like, what do we, kids actually do this this day these days? Like, and because like when I was in high school, like self, it was back when like cell phones were like not allowed in high school, basically. Yeah. And I was like, Same. wait, like when kids actually like try and embarrass someone like this, I'm like, oh yeah, like I haven't been in high school in 12 years. Maybe, maybe they would, but like, yeah, also, that's, that's sorry, not that sorry, one, one nitpick about that. It's like, I understand like one or two people like taking their phones out and like trying to like, oh, ha, ha, it's so funny. The entire school, I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. Children can be jerks, but like teenagers and teenagers especially can be jerks. I don't think every single person in the crowd would take their phone out to laugh at him. I did have that thought too, but sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, so we can talk about this more broadly because there's a lot of camp in the movie. And I actually think it works in certain ways. But in that case, I think the problem with that is then it turns into this montage of, of information on different sources. And like, there were a lot of things in that that just like, did struck me as someone who was like 35 making this like there were like these 12 minute YouTube videos that it was like showing like five seconds of which didn't make any sense it was very obsessed with like trying to throw reddit into the mix of social media and I was like give me snapchat stories give me instagram stories give me tiktoks like I feel like there are certain short videos that might have had responses to this but like I don't know why we're getting all these like 13 minute YouTube clips that we're showing a bit of, but also the fact that that scene then turned into what I am pretty sure is an exact copy of the Facebook ad where it has all the videos that turn into like a globe basically. (laughs) And it was just, it was, it looked like someone had made this an iMovie and I was just like, what's happening? How is this a $20 million like studio movie? I don't understand. Yeah, that, that, well, that was like the, that was a moment that like, it was funny because right before like when he was like giving the speech and stuff, I don't know what it says about me, but I was like, oh, this is actually kind of good. Like, I don't know why everyone hates this movie so much. And and then like and then it turns into the viral moment thing. And it's we're almost like left to think that, like, you know, had it had all of this stuff actually happened to Evan and he been and he, he was coming from an honest place, like when he gave that speech, then like the, the, the resulting outcome would have been like, like wholly a good thing. And like I was like, I don't know, like it's kind of weird that like it's kind of equating like virality to like some kind of like healthy good response and cure all to all of this if like one good thing goes viral it was it was kind of weird and i don't think it like fully got into the actual the actual response that would be like necessary because they just kept talking about this foundation and raising awareness but they didn't actually like get into like what a good version of that would look like it's kind of like left to believe that the only thing bad about this is evan's lie itself and I guess that's what I'm saying is that like, I, I don't think it really, 
you're right, John. Like, I don't think these people really understand social media or the internet that probably that well to begin with. So it didn't really know how to take aim at them in the first place. Part of this show is that you have to hold in your head the idea that the bad things that people do and the good things that come from them can, may not, like that you have to like, it, you can't just excuse the bad things people do because something good comes from it. And I think the other piece of that as, as we're kind of going through the show is not just Evan and the speech and whoever he might reach, but also the fact that then with Alana's character posts the, the therapy letter that people think is the suicide letter on, I guess, Instagram, she gets to her goal for the fundraising. And so it becomes <laughs> this whole thing where it's like, well, you, you ruined this family's life and they're getting death threats, but it all worked out. And I was just like, Apple I, I can't hold these things in my head. Like I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, do you think, so in, in light of that and how it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like showing that like, oh yeah, well, this is a, again, something like that where she's like reaching, she's doing a bad thing too. I've seen some people also criticize it thinking that the movie didn't really need to sell out that character like it did in the first place either and have her do a bad thing. Like it didn't even necessarily need to go there. But regardless, again, it's kind of like implying that like these monetary goals, these uh, viral goals, like that, that is like a, that is a good, that is a good end to have necessarily. And I don't, it, it spends a lot of time on that without actually dwelling maybe so much as it could on the hurt that is done to the Murphy family. Well, uh, I also sorry, I also think yeah. that that action makes more sense if this character is based around clout chasing than it does if she's, you know, doing this for, you know, good, quote, good reasons. Yeah. Because she relates to this person who, who, you know, took their own life. Like, it makes more sense that she does it. It's that because she wants to put this on her, her, you know, her Princeton resume or something. Like, it makes more sense. Yeah, and I just think more broadly... I think there's something very hard about not, you have to kind of accept every character is doing the best they can and kind of they're all on trajectories that just kind of collide. And I think it becomes harder and harder the more you have to excuse object. Like you have to get to a point where when he's writing the letters and doing that song, like um, uh, Sincerely Me, I believe is the name of the song, where you have to, to get to that point, you have to accept that the Amy Adams character is, he so badly does not want to disappoint her that, and she's so hurt by all these things. And I think it just becomes very difficult to kind of fit all those pieces in a box and accept everyone's good. And I think especially what you're saying about like that character being a clout chaser, I think simplifies the plot a lot more because I think it makes it easier to accept, oh, that was just a bad thing. We'll go on. But then if we're going to keep going on the path, the, the last scene is like, well, we have this orchard and he loved it here. And this is so lovely. And like, can I ask a question real quick, which was, I did not understand how much of the orchard was real and how much of that was like incepted by the mom, just like mentioning it into him. And it became one of these things where I was like, I don't even know how, like what's real here and what is, what's, what's fake. What's this one story he's been telling over and over again. It became very difficult to like tease that out. And then in the last scene, she's like, well, he did really love it. And I was like, okay. But it, it's like the entire conception of Connor is this, this falsity and it becomes so difficult to actually get any sense of what's real or what's true about this person. I guess it didn't, that didn't bother me so much because like, I just kind of accepted that his family didn't know him. So like, how, how is anyone else in this movie supposed to know him if no one in this world actually knew him? So people are going to build stuff like, like that up in their head though. At the same time, like as far as how real the orchard was, like I took, I, I, I took it to mean like, yeah, they went there once when he was three and she just is like in her, again, it's hard to really take these people seriously that she just kind of buys that her 18 year old son that is like uh, a recovering addict and like, you know, super into some other probably more dark forms of entertainment is just like, 
happily going to an apple orchard with his friend when he's 17 or 18 dark, like, dark uh, forms of entertainment like the vinyl record player i saw in his in his room yeah i, I, we I, also I talk I, about how nice they're ha- like the julianne moore and ben platt are supposed to be really poor and yet his room is larger than my apartment and i was just like i don't understand <laughs> what's happening yeah here. i was like i i, I mean i i don't I mean, look, look, class does play a role in this movie. So we haven't even really gotten to that yet. And I I did have a thought about that. Like, they're poor, but their house looks pretty big for just two people in uh, in a nice suburb of uh, a nice, I mean, Bethesda's a d- considered a DC suburb, right? So it's like- It's a very wealthy one too. Right. Bethesda, so it's like, yeah. they have a decent sized house in Bethesda, Maryland, and, you're, and, and you supposedly can't like, send your son to college. You might need a downsize lady. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I, I think Get there's a, condo. a I, I want to go back to a, a thing on this note though, which is that, we talked about anybody have a map being missing. And I think the reason that was tr- difficult for me is that you don't get the idea of Amy Adams's character doing the best you can for the son and like the interactions yep. there. And like, like the, the, the desperate struggle of like, I don't know what to do with this kid. And I'm trying my hardest. Yep. And I have no idea. And you have the same thing with Julianne Moore, where she's like, I am overwhelmed. I'm doing everything I can here. I don't know. I don't know how to help uh, uh, Evan. Evan. I don't know. Like, I'm working this job and I'm doing the best I can to keep my job. And like, there's just all these forces. And like, even the, the dad, um, Connor's father, who was the stepfather in the movie, there was some really interesting acting going on there. And I actually thought that character was really interesting. And I found like, I actually really liked the arc there where I thought that actor did a good job of like, was definitely more camp than Julianne Moore. But I thought the evolution from like, I don't know how to process this to like dealing with the emotions and like the connection with Ben, I actually thought was, you saw less of, and I actually thought that was to its benefit. And I actually really liked the beats of that relationship. But again, when you don't have those relationships to begin with, you don't know they're all on like this path of collision and they're all just like keeping it all together. When you don't have that to begin with, it becomes very difficult when you get to these later points and you don't have anything to fall back on. You don't quite get just how hard they struggle with these things and what they were trying to do and all these pieces. And so it just becomes very difficult when when all you see is the aftermath of Connor's suicide, you don't have any basis for understanding who they are or what they were trying to do. And so it just makes it so difficult. Yeah, which, is why they, which is why they shouldn't have cut out to break in a glove either. <laughs> it's such a good song too. Uh, oh, yeah. all, all the ones they cut out were good songs. Well, yeah, I like Adam, them all. It's, well, it seems like, Adam, it seems like the, even though you're higher on the movie than us, it seems like you agreed with the point that John just made though with respect to uh, giving the mothers a little bit more of a, a backstory. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think at the very least three out of the four songs that they cut from the musical or from the movie, which I understand the movie's already like two hours and 20 minutes long, like adding more songs would be difficult. I think Disappear, kind of replaced by the anonymous ones. Okay, fine. Anybody has a, anybody have a map? We've talked about already, you know, a lot. Uh, to Break in a Glove is a song where um, it's kind of, it's referenced in the, the movie where Evan finds the baseball glove that, you know, uh, the stepdad got for Connor. Um, in the movie or in the musical, it kind of goes more into it. Like about, it's kind of talking about the song kind of going into about how like this dad tried to reach his son and you know, how he, he thought he was doing the right thing by kind of being kind of tough and stuff like that. Like, I, like I think one of the main lines in the song is, you know, it's the hard way, but it's the right way. And he thought he was doing the right thing and, you know, kind of humanizes him more. Uh, and then the last song that they cut is called good for you. Um, which people talk about how Evan didn't quite get enough repercussions or, you know, we don't really, it's hard to, he doesn't get enough backlash, I guess, for what he did. Well, that's what good for you. It's basically everyone coming at him saying like, you're really screwing everyone else over here. Like you're doing a bad thing. But um, yeah, I definitely think like I said, to break in a glove would have fit in really well to kind of help humanize 
uh, a character who had kind of his humanity cut away a little bit. Well, yeah. As, as far as what your point right there, because you had mentioned something the other day about how they would like uh, cut out a couple of the songs that might have, you know, actually like had Evan face his repercussions a little more. And you just mentioned the length of the movie. And look, I think even though I guess, you know, most Broadway shows are going to be more than two hours and 15 minutes, typically, I think. Uh, I've only really seen a few. I think in a, in a film, this is a story that could like probably be fully told in two hours and 15 minutes. Like if you're going to have it be this long, there's room to like, you know, have Evan face the repercussions on the back end that he should. And I was a little skeptical when Adam had told me like, oh yeah, they cut out a song that really did a lot of that work. And I was like, how can they really like fix one big issue with the movie with one song? And then I listened to Good For You today and Good For You is like a really good song. Like it's like, might be the catchiest out of everything that I heard in the movie. Does Melody have some feelings on Good For You, Adam? Melody loves Good For You. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, John, I think Oshie's winning the Good Dog Award for this podcast so far. Um, He's asleep on the floor right here. I took away his bones. That's why I went off camera for a second. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but no, so I like, I like actually fully agree. Like, I think if they keep Good For You and add in anyone have a map, uh, look, I, I think, you know, for anyone feeling that like, look, this movie wraps up a little too neatly. You don't really actually, for anyone that's of the opinion, this movie wraps up a little too neatly or seems to want to like be a little more inspirational and go a little easier on Evan, uh, you know, just seeing what these moms are put through, but then like, cause the movie does kind of like you, he's at his most unlikable when he's like eager to just take the money from the, uh, easier, easy to, he's eager to just take the money from Connor's parents at the end. It's like, uh, that on top of having then good for you right there and having, uh, his mom just have to express all this frustration with him. I think that actually would have gone a long way to addressing a lot of the criticisms that some people have, even if like some of the failings of this movie are going to be there regardless of the, what, what choices they made with respect to the soundtrack. And I'll just say more broadly, I feel like when they put together the screenplay for this movie, I don't feel like they understood what worked about some of the songs. And so like they took, like Requiem is a really interesting one where it starts with uh, Connor's sister, uh, Caitlin Deaver's character, like in like by herself. But part of what works in a stage musical is you can have the father and the mom in different places, like physically, but on the same stage is what brings them together. And so like it, it's this classical musical problem where I think of, the into the woods so the into the woods uh tom hooper like movie musical where one of the key songs is everyone's on stage together and like they're all doing their thing but they're all on the same stage and instead it's just a thousand cuts and so you don't get the proximity you don't get the energy and that song didn't work that way and the other side of that is when you have words fail and he's just sitting there singing like three verses of these poor people that he just admitted he had like completely lied to and i was like <laughs> get out of the house what are you doing and so I don't think they understood the theatricality of it in ways that I wish I would have been fine with if they faded to black and just had it by himself singing this or something like that, where it brings it like out of the, the reality. And it just, I don't think they understood the pieces of that. And so when you get like to break into gloves or an example, that is a very natural song. And that is a song that is between two people has dialogue in it is really emotional, but you can stage in a really nice way. And I think they, sacrifice those types of moments for other ones that I don't think they knew how to convey the emotion of. And so it, it puts you in this really awkward position where you've lost important exposition, but also the stuff you've kept doesn't work the way it would on stage. Yeah. And I hadn't actually, that was one of the ones that wasn't in the movie that I didn't go back and listen to a break, breaking in the glove because like I, to break in a glove, because I just, and, and I actually like think that would have probably helped too, based on what you guys are saying, because I mean, you understand why he would want to be a part of a family like that, but I think they did a little bit more telling than they did showing as far as what it might look like 
for him to actually be a part of this family. Like they talk about how his dad's not around. You see him texting his dad, but I didn't necessarily feel him bonding with, uh, with the dad quite as much as like, it seemed to imply like he ultimately wanted to, or is, and how, um, good for you kind of like seems to say he is though. I mean, again, that one didn't make the final cut of the movie, but, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, look, it just seems like, I don't, I don't know where they cut it, but like this movie, again, it's two hours and freaking 17 minutes long. Like I think they could have found room for three more songs and cut nine minutes elsewhere, you know? So, and this is the thing about some of the other songs we talked about where like, instead of having that opening song, which is a classical musical genre. um, The other one I know really well is next to normal where you have this like entire family, like starting point, And then she has a panic attack and it's a whole, it moves the, the story forward. But instead of having that song, you had Julianne Moore, in the taco Tuesday thing calling from the hospital. And it just was a lot lower energy. And it, like part of what makes a musical great is you either have a lot of plot very quickly in a song that moves at a pace and at a unrealistic way that you can move through a lot of motions through little snippets. And the other part is that you're able to give emotions in a way that just dialogue can't. And so you're able to express things in a way that you're not able to. And I think some of these songs are actually able to do both where you're able to move things along and really understand the relationships as they build, but also you're able to do it in a like a faster package where these songs are two or three minutes, but they go through all these different pieces that you really understand characters in a way that Julianne Moore calling from the hospital doesn't give you. And I just, briefly, I will say that Julianne Moore's character is so poorly served by this movie combined with that and the texting the dad. And there are just a lot of things where like, you don't know these characters well enough. And so it becomes very hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so when you're in the scene where the family's trying to give him the college fund, you don't know enough about where she's coming from or what's real or what's fake because you've seen so little of her that it becomes very difficult. And like, you just, you lose a lot of the starting point of what is she trying to do? How does she feel about it? And so she's almost kind of like this shadow character. Yeah, especially because she, especially because she, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, especially because she doesn't fully understand the extent of Evan's lies at that point. She's just making, taking a principled stand, but we don't, like you're saying, we don't have a lot of context for that. Uh, Adam, what were you saying? I was going to ask you, Josh, since you came in not having much knowledge about it, so you only have the film to go off of and stuff pretty much. How did you react to uh, Julianne Moore's song at the end, So Big, So Small? I love that song. That song Great is beautiful. Song. Oh, I will say I cried three well, I, times I, seeing this for, movie. For, for like, Josh, I want to know what Josh. Oh, thought. sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I mean, you were just saying my name wrong. I oh, sorry. So tired. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I think it is a good song, and I've I'm kind of of two minds of it because I've heard I've listened to a couple podcasts about the movie and read a couple reviews, and it's like, uh, from what I understand, again, I, well, as I mentioned earlier, Rachel Bay Jones like won a Tony for that role, and Julianne Moore is obviously an incredibly accomplished actress that is a an Oscar winner, all that. Uh, so she's a good actress, but she doesn't have the singing chops of like someone that's like a pure Broadway performer. So did, did you did you get like a, emotional during the song? No, no, but, like. I think I think that kind of maybe might be what like what John was saying, like how her character is underserved because that song gets me every time, every time. It did, 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 did it get you in the context of the movie, too? Yeah, but that's also okay. because I already knew everything. You know, yeah. You know, so it's like I, I know what I guess I know the fuller picture, but right, uh, that's so, what I was about. Yeah. Right. So who knows if you have more context for uh, her, her daily struggle in dealing with Evan and her relationship with her husband and her financial situation, whatever it may be, and all the, uh, the confluence of those things, I can see why that would be super powerful. I also did kind of notice, like, this, she might be like the, she she is not a pure singer, which I think can kind of sometimes cut both ways in musical stuff, where it's like, maybe it almost works a little more if you're, if you're ha- hearing someone sing it that's like, you know, 
not doing it in a pitch perfect, like, you know, Broadway sound. You were going to say something, John? I, I want to let you jump I back in. I thought that it was great, even with the talk singing. I think yeah. that, I actually think that made it better in this context because I think that she's so like, so I'm going to get most right. I, I love that song so much. And it's one of those things. Wow, so like, you, hate, you hated the movie and you were even still moved by I that. I mean, but here's the thing. I think these types of movies are really good at emotional manipulation. And I think there are characters in this that are brilliant. And I think the songs are really good. And I think the emotion is there. But I think the central plot is so hard to get into. And I think it becomes very difficult with everything. But speaking about Julianne Moore's character, I think there's something fundamental of like, she's so absent in the movie and I think that's true in the musical as well, like in the stage show, but you, because you're set up by those opening numbers of like, I'm doing everything I can. I just don't know how to handle this. I'm trying my best that that colors everything else. And so the example I'll give to this is, did you guys see in the Heights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did, a, we did a podcast on it. Yes. So Paciencia Ife, by moving that from like the beginning of the show to right before when she dies, you lose the context, the way that yes. song colors the entire thing. And I, I agree 1 billion percent. I agree yeah. 1 billion percent about Paciencia Ife. And so it's one of those things where when you're thinking about these characters, these introductory songs are important, not just because they share how you're feeling, but also like when you're talking about this, uh, Caitlin Deaver's character and Requiem, that song explains her emotion through the entire movie. If you understand how conflicted she is between this brother, she kind of hated. And what am I supposed to do with this? And how am I supposed to feel about this? And like, I feel guilty for not feeling like sad that he's basically, I'm not feeling sad that he's dead. There's just all these pieces that those songs set the entire thing. And when you don't have that intro from Julianne Moore's character, you lose the entire thing of like, you don't, you see everything through a different light because it's just kind of like, oh, I'm working, sorry. And like, it kind of gets bitchy by the end where it's just like, sorry, Taco Tuesday, I'm, I'm studying. Like it kind of becomes kind of catty in a way that was not ever my impression of, of the, like the context of the musical. I didn't think it ever got to that point. Another song, that helped, another song that helps set up uh, So Big, So Small is Good For You. I'm not letting this go. Justice for Good For You. Yeah. Well, so is Requiem the one, I, I is that the one where you see like, Caitlin Deaver, but also uh, the, the parents at the yes. same yeah. time. And then they're all yeah. going through there. I like that sequence in the movie, actually. It's, I just it's, thought it's, just, it's similar in the stage show and it's very good in the stage show. Yeah. You know, I guess that was just that gets it more like I was saying I wanted as far as just, you know, whether it be about how people like are performative and using social media to respond to grief, but also just like seeing how people like do, uh, process grief in their own way. I just think there was potential for a lot more moments like that in a story like this without like, you know, without the really like uh, iffy plot. And that, that was just one sequence of the movie. I'm like, I like how this is shot, seeing them all go through their natural environments and uh, really have to deal with this on their own. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I just felt like a movie that long, that has all these performers like it just it, there were more there were more, way more potential for more moments like that than we were given so and just to go back to what we've to bring it all kind of around is the fact that you lose the ability to understand these characters outside of evan brings everything into this very convoluted and kind of uncomfortable central plot whereas if that is the train tracks you're on but there are a lot of other things happening within it the way like a musical is staged and you have lots of characters with their own motivations it gives you the ability of like, yes, this is my central through line, but actually these characters and their own motivations and their own emotional journeys are really interesting. And I think we lost a lot of that because I think like a lot of these characters, because they're only shown when it's talking through uh, Evan, you just don't, you you lose a lot of the ability to view them as independent people and the ability to kind of understand their journey when it's not lens through Evan. 
So other than so big, so small, John, were there any other, uh, did you have any other thoughts on how they did pull off the music in this or any other sequences you'd really did like, or did think didn't uh, translate as well? I know you already talked about the, the opening number, but beyond that. Yeah. I will just say that I'm, I'm forgetting the name. So give me one second. Um, Oh, of course you will be found. So I thought that you will be found is a brilliant song. I think it's lovely. And I think actually even given the cringe of like the Facebook ad of it all, I still thought that actually it was pretty effective. And like, I cried during that. So like, I'm not even going to pretend. And so like, that's the thing here where I felt like when they embraced the theatricality a little bit more and were just like, we're going to do the song and like really like get into the emotion of it and not try and like show it in the middle of the gym. I thought it worked. And I think that's the hard part for me is like, like waving through a window is a song that I love that has, I connect to a lot. I think I personally relate to it a lot. And so when you lose the, when you put it in the way they did, you just lose a lot of the actual emotional connection of it. And so like, I actually thought like, I thought Requiem, they did as well as they could. I think there are some things you just can't pull from a stage. And I thought it actually was really great. I thought So Big So Small was really good. Um, Can we talk about the anonymous ones and how that was a clear Oscar play that did not work? And I did like- (laughs) That's what I said to to Kayla, my fiance. I said, yep, that's the Oscar bait right there. So they're going for at least, if nothing else, that best original song Oscar. Because that's how you get in with the original when you're adapting something. Well, have you seen there's also already a SZA version that they've released at the same time of the oh. same song, <laughs> which is a, a choice. Um, but like, that's the thing is like, I actually think that sh- these types of shows, I think when you try and make this show have a song that's like, well, we're all part of this and this is something we all struggle with. I actually think that loses the way that that musicals and like the in theater and just like storytelling is meant to work, which is specific characters that go through things that are relatable and you can understand them and feel them and have the emotions of them and kind of feel all those things. And I think when you take it so explicitly to, oh, we're all part of this. I think it gets a little bit like, like to not age myself, like Saturday afternoon special in terms of like, it just felt very much like a, um, uh, so just so you know, like NBC type of ad of like everyone struggles with mental health. And I just, I think there are ways to do it through you will be found and stuff like that that just aren't as I feel like it was trying too hard. It just didn't work for me. I, I agree that I think you will be found covers it already. Coming to covers that angle. Like, hey, we all have hard times. Don't worry. Like, there's someone to help you, you know. I think that kind of covers it. I don't think you needed the anonymous ones, but I guess like, and that's written said, Oscar into the, And that's written into the show where a lot of the dialogue in those social media clips is in like this Broadway soundtrack and like all of like, I didn't, I felt like I was alone. Here are all the things you connect to me so much. That's all there. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think you have to, you don't have to turn subtext into text in that way to try and make it more relatable. I actually think that's one of the worst ways you can do these things because I think that specific stories you tell and the ways they relate is how you like convey emotion. And I think when you try and literally make it like, uh, uh, we're all in this together to not cite high school musical again, like it just becomes, it's just too, it becomes too theatrical too. It becomes too, uh, messagey, I guess I, I'm, I'm trying to the right word to say here, but it just becomes a little bit too pointed in the social messages trying to get along in a way that I think the musical itself does convey very well. 
I don't disagree. It just I just wasn't as cynical about it in the moment because I didn't realize it was original because I didn't know any better. Uh, so th- th- that that was that was how that struck me. But I could I could certainly see why someone would have uh, that reaction to that song and that particular subject matter at that point in the show. Uh, Adam, do you have any other final thoughts on the movie or any any anything we didn't touch on about the show that you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Um, just the part of the end where it's like, oh, he's digging through all this stuff, trying to find out. Oh, like, right. Yeah, know, we didn't we didn't fully oh, go into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, oh, I'm trying to find anyone who know, knew him and da 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 like a little too a little too much. If I remember right in the in the musical, the only thing we kind of get towards that is like, okay, he's like, I found the list of books he liked. I'm gonna read these feel like I kind of know him a little better, but like I think it was a little too much on the nose and a little bit trying to redeem him too much, like by sending the video to like his family. And it's like, no, no, dude, they really don't want. Right, but I think he did it. In, I think he did it anonymously, though. So they're right. So he wasn't like. But but it's not that they know that he did it. It's that we know that he did it. And it's like, OK, right. come on, like calm down. Yeah, I think it came across a little bit like penance in a way that I was like a little uncomfortable with of like if the, if it were more, I feel like I have to do this. I feel like it's important for me to understand this person and like give, give uh, some important memorial to this. That would have been fine. But like the reading every book on this thing, just especially the way it was staged just felt very like, this is how I'll make myself feel better. And like, I think that undercut a little bit of like, I actually think that that final song, again, I cried during that, that the guitar song that he sang, incredible stuff. But like, I think it just, it needed to be down about two notches. And I thought it was a little bit, absolving in terms of like well look you managed to find these important things and i'm like and okay for the for the record that that whole bit including the the song by connor is a movie is movie only that's not in the in the stage show at all i thought i actually think that was great um, yeah I, I don't think the song was I, I don't know i don't like how it was put in there it's like oh he's you know he's finding this to give it to the family and make them the murphy family and make them feel better and like you know at such okay yeah. again it's it's less like even if it was done anonymously it's like uh for us, it's to make us feel better about him. And it's like, no, he did a really bad thing. It's okay to accept that he did a really bad thing and to not necessarily like this character. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I think I was just like already kind of like expecting to not like him and acutely aware of the things he was doing were not good. So I, I when, when, when I now think about it, I'm like, yeah, it was doing a lot of work in those, in those last scenes to, I mean, at least get him to a good place and I don't know if it needed to do that much. Like I, I didn't need anyone to hold my hand to like, let me know that he had done a bad thing, but at the same time, like it, it devoted a lot of screen. We we're talking about where they could have cut stuff out to save some of the time for more of these other songs. And that's, that's probably that, that little stretch of the movie right there is maybe candidate number one. And I don't think that orchard scene really added a whole lot though. I was, you know, um, more Caitlin Deaver in my opinion is never a bad thing. Um, uh, there, there was one of the, one of the part I wanted to mention that we, cause, uh, we only briefly talked about uh, the song "Words Fail," which my, which includes probably my favorite mo- moment in the whole musical, where it's kind of a crux of the musical, where he's like, "I just was going along with this because I wanted this, and I just hate myself, and I hope nobody sees how much I hate myself and how bad of a person I am." And such, and, I, and I think it's incredible. Like if you listen to like listening to the musical version of it without any visual part of it, gets me choked up. It's just really good acting through song. Um, and there's a part in the in the movie version where it's like it cuts from when I guess he's at the house to um, when he's like sitting in the park and stuff. They almost cu- I thought they were going to cut out the second part of words fail, which I think is the most important part of the musical. And I would have just absolutely rioted if they had done that. Like, you know, I would have just lost my mind. 
Interesting. I, yeah, I, that, 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 that stretch didn't register as much for me for whatever reason, but uh, noted. Um, I, would, I would just say, I think Words Fail for me is a very important song, but I also think part of, part of the suspension of disbelief of musical is that when you're on stage and someone's singing like that kind of thing, it's almost to the audience and to themselves. It's not as much the people on stage. And so it relieves some of the tension of like, that scene is shot so naturalistically where they're all at the table and it keeps cutting to Amy Adams and the stepfather. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? Like you just, you just dropped this bomb and now you're singing at them for the next two minutes. And I think <laughs> I honestly wish. Oh, it, that, that, that's, that's where that's words. Yeah. Fail. Oh, yeah. Okay. I forgot. I it's, forgot. It's the song where he comes, lyrics. where he comes. Yeah. Clean. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The, it is. Part, it, it is a little janky for sure. The, the part that I'm talking about, is, I, I would have write it's like the line where lines where he's like, uh, you know, he's like saying where he reprises uh, waving through a window and he's like, I never let them see the worst of me because what if everyone saw, what if everyone knew, would they like what they saw or would they hate it too? And I'm like, that's the best, most important part of the whole show. And I thought they were going to cut it out and I would have lost my mind. Mm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways to do it. I think that there's just something in me that like over and over again, I would want to go, go fully with the mute, the movie. And then there would be these scenes where I would just be like clawing at my like, my like sweatshirt and just being like, what is happening right now? Like, why is this happening? And honestly, if they had done that scene and just cut to like, just had them freeze and just been like his own, like sharing his thing, it would have been fine. Or frankly, if they had cut in the middle of the song, let have them say, please go and then finish the song outside or something like that. Uh, but it was yeah. one of these things where they kept it in that room for so long that I was just like, I don't know what yeah. to do what, well, Yeah, and, and what are they supposed to do at that point? There's only so much acting you can do opposite that. Right. Um, yeah. Any other final big picture thoughts before we end, John? I would just say that I actually think that this is one of the movies where I feel like all the main characters really gave it all, if they're all. And I feel like for me, I think the thing that when I look back on this movie that I will feel is that I think the direction really failed it. And I feel like there were ways to bring these characters onto the same level. I think Amy Adams is such a brilliant actress. And I think she is so good at like, I think of her in Arrival and the Naturals in that performance. I'm like, she can do this. And it was so up here and Ben Platt was here. And like Julianne Moore, I think was incredible and deeply underserved by the screenplay. I thought the stepfather and Caitlin Devers were both great. Alana, I was a little more mixed on, but like, I felt like everyone came into this movie trying to give it their all. And I really wish they had fit it together a little bit better. Um, that said, I will probably be a lot higher on this in the second rewatch if when I ever do that. But like, I think it definitely... They tried and I respect that they tried. I am very hopeful that we get, we're getting a lot of musicals right now. And like, I loved In the Heights. I'm very curious to see how the rest of these go, but like, I'm very mm. curious if this is the last major Broadway musical we get for a long time. That's not like Wicked, Wicked or one of these like older ones because I don't you, see it happening you, again. Well, if a, oh, it's interesting that a Wicked movie hasn't happened yet, isn't it? Like with all the other I, ones? It's been in development for a while. I believe oh. they've cast it. Um, I don't know if they've actually shot it, but I've there have been talks about it for a while. But in that case, like obviously like Kristen Chenoweth and like, uh, oh God, I'm, yeah, Dina Menzel um, are way too old to play those parts and they're not going to. But like, it's definitely one of those things where I think you either need the story to be good enough or you need something that people really want to see. And like, I think this is probably going to suffer from the same thing in the Heights did where they were too Broadway focused. And so, or like tried to do it too realistic, the musical, although in the Heights was way better than this, but oh yeah, either way, it just doesn't have the names where I think it at the end of the day, I don't know who 
I mean, like Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, but they're like this had a lot bigger names than In the Heights did, though. Yes, but at the same time, like, I mean, Julianne Moore is in what nine minutes of this movie? Like, she's not in this movie, and like Amy Adams is a major character in this movie, but like this is the Ben Platt show, and like I don't know how many people know Ben Platt or like saw the Politician or like really care about his other stuff, and so I think that really brings it down to like a theater nerd level, um, and so I'm I am hopeful that we get more of these types of shots because I do think that this musical is actually very good. I think that there is a reason musicals work better on stage than on film. But at the same time, I do think we've seen enough state like film musicals that really work. And so I'm hopeful that we're not at the end of kind of a wave of movie musicals, but we'll see. Uh, Adam, any other final thoughts on Dear Evan Hansen? Well, again, one justice for good for you. Uh, shout out to <laughs> shout out to Caitlin Deaver and Danny Pino, who I thought did really well in this movie. I really like Danny Pino, and yeah, just uh, as far as you know, musicals that are also out right now, even though it's not an adaptation, it's a uh, just you know filmed musical. Uh, Come from away is on Apple TV, and Come from away is really good. Really, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's just it's the musical being filmed uh, like Hamilton was. Uh, and it, they, uh, Apple released it on 9-11 because it's based around 9-11. Oh, so. No, I know what it is because I had a friend that saw it, in, uh, um, saw it in Miami when I was there a couple years ago. I just – I'd heard they were actually making a movie movie or a miniseries out of it, which I was intrigued by. I didn't know they did like a filmed Broadway version, but I'll – Yep, it just got I, I'm released. Gonna, yeah, I'm seeing it now. I'm going to – I just pulled it up. I'm going to definitely check that out. I'm it's good. Ahead. I watched it a couple weeks ago. It's pretty good. All right. And well, it, it's coming to West Palm Beach soon too, so. Ooh, okay. Well, you got to let me know about that because I will buy a ticket for that for sure. Uh, and th- th- I guess that's your recommendation. John, have you been watching anything else you want to point people towards? I watched The Thing last night and I enjoyed that. I don't I don't know what else I'm going to... There's nothing else to really hit on. Mm-hmm. I will say if people haven't watched In the Heights, go watch that. That is the best thing I've seen in probably a year and I adored it. Sure. And uh, I, I don't... Again, I, I, I because I'm just like so steeped in my Sopranos rewatch, I don't have a lot new to stuff to say. I'm still also continuing my like little uh, Ingmar Bergman education. I watched uh, the theatrical version of Scenes from a Marriage, which is on HBO, which Max via Criterion, as HBO Max is simultaneously putting out this Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain adaptation of it, uh, the original movie, which apparently, according to my friend Ben Lubin, who is going to be doing the uh, podcast on uh, Bergman Island with me. Apparently the Scenes for a Marriage original miniseries is actually the way to watch it, but the movie is on HBO and it was actually really, really good and keeps your attention really well for something that doesn't have a lot of different settings and has very long scenes and just like six very long scenes and is like two hours and 49 minutes long. It's way better than you would think when you just hear that. Speaking of the thing and John Carpenter, Adam will probably next be joining us on the Halloween sequel, which is coming out yeah. at some point in October because uh, he and Kayla did the original with me way back three years ago when it first came out. Was I'll three- watch that. Yeah, and uh, so you can stay tuned for Adam on that uh, and stay tuned for John on uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is at some point in the next couple of months, right, right, John? Um, yeah, I think it's in like a month or so. It's not yeah, too long. Yeah, so I, at some point in the next month, both of them are, both of these guys will be coming back to join me. So guys, I want to say thank you for joining me. Uh, as usual, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Josh Drenovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, and the podcast Twitter at Rewind Movie Pod, and tw- the email, rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, though, v- Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I don't even know who's talking about it, but v- the first Venom 
was a gloriously weird movie. So uh, I think we'll probably be talking about that and maybe the eyes of Tammy Faye because um, I've, uh, my other friend Kayla reached out and wanted to talk about that one as well. So probably one of the two of those after this. But uh, thanks again to Adam and John for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.